0: And i'm bob newbear and you're listening to general intellect unit and uh bob's back we're we're back to uh, uh come through on that that threat to finish off this uh um, reading series uh by by reading some of the responses to moore's work um more you know kind of kind of a spicy boy you know makes makes some really provocative comments uh, and people felt the need to weigh in um so we are reading, uh, we, we have read this little interview with um, John Bellamy Foster, where he kind of goes over some of his objections. We briefly read a piece by um, this fellow Malm. What's his first name? Uh, Andreas. Andreas. So we, we read, uh, read a piece by Andreas Malm, uh, which went over similar objections, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because it's frankly, I think, a pretty bad rebuttal. And like he, he says some stuff that's like, not only objectionable but like I think straight up wrong like unequivocally false statements uh which is really weird but then we the, the big meat of this is um uh, a piece by it's a review really by uh, Mackenzie Wark, um, just going over specifically not going over the essays we read uh, but um going over the book that comes after them um Moore's capitalism in the web of life um, so that's a kind of a caveat up front that like We've read those two essays. The, these other people have read this book. It's possible that something's being missed somewhere, um, but we'll do our best with it. Um, so, Bob, what is Foster up to here? What's 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 got his what's got his
1: goat? Well, so I think to make sense of of this. I mean, as we mentioned before, bizarrely acrimonious debate. <laughs> I would say it's it, it's it's worthwhile knowing where like Foster's place in some of these sorts of discussions. So, so Foster is uh, associated with the kind of Monthly Review uh, school of Marxism, but he became quite a major figure as as one of the earlier figures over the last maybe ten years, a little more than that, thinking through the relationship uh, between uh, capitalism and ecological degradation, sort of similar with a. Different approach to more, but but, but his approach was called the ecological, the the idea of the ecological rift. And what he was doing was he was building off of some uh, writings uh, from Marx and Engels around where where Marx talks about the alienation, uh, capitalism alienating humans from nature in the sense that uh, capital doesn't, kind of like more, like capital doesn't. put a price on, uh, the natural ecosystem services that it needs and uses. And because of that, it just kind of, uh, it, 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 uh, it doesn't just, you know, it robs, uh, workers of labor, but it's all, also like constantly just, you know, taking shit, right. Like taking uh, so, you know, uh, whether, whether or not you're talking about the chemistry and, in, uh, in a healthy soil, right. And in, like industrial agriculture, or you're talking about the you know, amount of fish you can take from the ocean, uh, uh, and not have your fish stocks, stocks collapse. So he became a bit, of a like a seminal person and thinking through that relationship, and I think the uh, where the 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 kind of acrimony comes from is that Moore is very much directing um, so at least some of his critiques of what he thinks of as like Cartesian dualism and like not thinking through the relationship between nature, society, and and humans, uh, nature, society, and capitalism in a kind of sophisticated way. He's pointing that at at, at Foster's. Uh, ecological Rift Theory, um, and at the same time that he's doing that, he is kind of um, poking at one thing that Ecological Rift Theory does take pretty seriously is trying to operationalize thinking through capitalism and Earth System Science. And so when Moore is on one hand, there's I think there's some ego there, like a, lo- a lot of ego there, like oh you are trying to take down the king or the Baron who's kind of established their their school is this dominant thing. But there does also seem to be this feeling that you know. People like Foster have spent a decent amount of time. People following him have spent a decent amount of time actually looking at like Earth and Ocean Science pretty, pretty carefully, looking at climate science pretty carefully, looking at the nitrogen cycle, and trying to relate that stuff. And so I think there's some stuff that's a little bit like I can't believe you. It, it sounds to me like you're just deconstructing this all and, and throwing all this stuff out. And then I think there's also some, uh, you know, like oh you're you know you're 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 trying to push me off my pedestal. And and you know you can debate on how much of that uh, is is coming from both places, but that's my that's my take. That would be my take. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, sounds like a reasonable read uh, based on what we see here, for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, the, the other thing I'll say is that uh, Foster, I think, um, he has a longstanding beef with kind of uh, eco-modernist socialists. And, and there are folks that... There's other pieces I've read where he kind of talks about Moore, but talks about a lot of other folks that I don't think Moore is really aligned with. And he seems, and I think he's attaching, atta- attaching, like basically like Lee Phillips's work on, uh, for instance, on on, uh, envir- on environmentalism, like comes off as very eco modernist, very like, hey, we can uh, we can productivist, we can pr- produce ourselves out of this crisis, uh, and so on. The problem is capitalism. We don't have to think about any natural limits or, or anything like that. Um, and uh, I, think, I think that's a third thing that's happening is that Moore is associating a kind of Jacobin-style, Lee Phillips-style eco-modernism with Moore, although I'm not c- necessarily convinced that Moore really is in that camp, at least from what we've read. So. Yeah, I
0: kind of get the impression that there's there seems to be something happening here where people are kind of talking across purposes, or they're not really engaging fairly with what's going on. So, like, I'm I'm kind of an outsider to these particular debates, and this is my first real exposure to a lot of this stuff. Um, and I kind of found Foster's defense or counter argument to be broadly unconvincing. Like, I think a lot of it leans on a kind of Church defense, circling the wagons, sort of thing. Like, oh, you know, Moore is an asshole because he attacks the movement. And it's like, well, to me, for me personally, that's that's the kind of argument that will never work on me. Like, I I don't care. It could be caricatured as saying I simply don't care about people or whatever, you know. But like, I I don't care about the personalities involved or the investments in particular movements. And like, oh, you know, I had I had a pint with it with those, with those guys ten years ago. They were really nice. And how dare he attack them? And this kind of shit it does not matter to me in the slightest. And it seems that Foster, I don't think, is really engaging that much with the substance of what Moore is saying. And when he does, it's almost like, kind of, I don't know, it's like, oh, you know, he accuses me of being a a, a Cartesian. And, well, I say in response, well, I am a Cartesian. I'm proud of it. Basically, like, in a kind of caricature, right? But I'm, I'm sure there's more going on here that I'm just not really grasping, And in part because... These folks do seem to be talking past each other. They seem to not even really understand what the other is saying in many ways. Because, like, some of the stuff I think he, he accuses more of, I just think, like, is straight-up false as well. Like, there's weird shit going on. Um, uh, Kyle, what's your take on this, this This particular interview?
2: Um, so... I think that uh, if we want to look at, like, the substance of what Foster is saying... Um, I think it gets down to this discussion. So after uh, Ian, um, after Ian Angus uh, asks uh, more, of, or sorry, asks Foster about the Cartesian dualism charge, uh, Foster sort of goes on about this and that, uh, kind of attacking the Latourians, so and so on. So on. Uh, but. Um, He says, uh, the constant references to Cartesian dualism, or what Moore calls the Cartesian binary, are extremely misleading. In his 17th century rationalist philosophy, Descartes distinguished between mind and spirit on the one hand and matter mechanism the other. Human beings were generally associated with mind and animals with machines. This was quite different from the distinction between society and nature that Moore calls a Cartesian binary. Moore contends that the concept of metabolic rift, which he incorrectly attributes to me rather than Marx, uh, is dualistic simply because it considers humanity, society, and nature as logically distinct entities. He does not seem to understand that dialectics is all about the mediation of totality, the process that both separates and unites individuals in society, humanity, and nature, parts, and wholes. The social metabolism in Marxist theory stands for the human role as a self-mediating being of nature through production. We focus on the separation of humanity and nature, on the degradation of natural processes in life, because that is the concrete reality of society, life and nature under the current alienated system of production capitalism. So, like he says, uh, this is the whole point of the Marxian ecological critique. Dialectics is always about appearance and essence, identity and difference, the interpenetration of opposites, and the negation of the negation. It is never a choice, as Moore seems to think, between crude dualism and crude monism. There is no contradiction in seeing society as both separate from and irreducible to the Earth system as a whole, and simultaneously is a fundamental part of it. To call that approach quote-unquote dualist is comparable to denying that your heart is both an integral part of your body and a distinct organ with unique features and functions. Um, so he says like, oh, well, like this bundling thing that, that, Mar- that Moore is doing is like way less sophisticated than dialectics because dialectics is able to talk about, you know, uh, mediation. It's able to talk about how like things can be distinct and part of a whole at the same time uh whereas bundling is just like oh no it's all like the same shit like you know in that very like bad Latourianism way of like latour just being like well what is society really like like you know like isn't there actually no such thing as anything like aren't things just just atoms that are are
1: randomly associated with each other um like if you if you can't if you can't uh, meaningfully uh, separate out when you come down to it at like a biochemical level uh, the difference between uh, society and like the water table then like obviously talking about either of those things is is just taking part into a, a degenerative research program.
0: I kind of like I don't get the impression that that's what Moore was really trying to do though I think he's being caricatured here and like it's I think that this is a this is a kind of charge that gets trotted out against. Um, oh you know it, it's it, it especially like you, you know you know the worst fucking deluzians, right and the, the way people like respond to them with like oh you, you just think everything's fucking meltdown everything everything's rhizomes or whatever you know that kind of thing i think that's kind of what's being sort of it's it's similar to that ac- accusation with the laturians right The the worst laturians that it's like oh it's really just all and what what, what it's like oh well you're just saying we shouldn't make any distinctions at all it's like a dog is the same as a table and this kind of stuff which is just a really silly caricature of what's actually being said right like i think that whole thing of, like, you know, the heart is both a distinct thing and part of the body. I don't get the impression that Moore would disagree with that. Um, but What's really funny, in both of these pieces, or actually all three of them, um, they kind of start out with, uh, and to, to differing degrees of sophistication, they start out with this kind of opening salvo of, like, oh, Moore is just saying that everything's, you know, melty, fucking timey-wimey, you know, uh, bullshit, bu- bundling, whatever. And then they go on to say, oh, but then he's actually a dualist. Like, as in he is making distinctions, and, like, you kind of can't have it with both ways, folks, if you're going to be like that. Like, it's either Moore is not making any distinctions or, like, Moore is refusing to make distinctions or he is making the binary distinctions that you accuse him of. Like, it's kind of strange as a, as a rhetorical trick here, you know?
1: Well, no, no I would. I have. To, I think I have to. Would push back. I think there's a. I think there's a distinction between saying that uh, more acts like everyone else, like between what you're saying versus what I think mm-hmm. they're accusing them of, and we can maybe agree or disagree on, on whether or not this is accurate. But I think what they're arguing is more along the lines that uh, when it's convenient for more. Mm-hmm. Drawing, the, drawing uh, po- he will point out the dualisms in other people's work, and then when it's convenient for him as well, he will draw his own dualisms. Okay. Yeah. yeah, That's that's a different argument. That's the argument that I would argue that they are actually making, that he's that that there's a there's a there's a uh, a kind of. And and the thing is, and I I will say, as someone who's read a decent amount of Foster's work and mom's work, there's a bunch of stuff in Moore's arguments with them in these or at least these debate, these these points that he's making that are. I can only describe it and I have to, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this for like last month and a half and how <laughs> I was going to phrase it. Like I can only describe it as gaslighting. <laughs> it's got, he, he's got like wh- whether or not uh, foster and mom are reacting in unsophisticated ways, or maybe he's luring them into a trap and they're exposing themselves. He's how he talks about, for instance, mom and, and fossil capital and moms like it's just so far from what mom's book was about. And mom's book is, I mean, regardless of whether or not it has its problems along Moore's lines. Really is attempting to say like mom never says that oh uh, fossil fuels just you you create industrialism plus fossil fuels you get capitalism like he goes out of his way to talk about the mutual constitution and and you know all these conjunctural things that are happening and so so I think there is a little bit of what like like uh, why are you coming at me bro and then but I think that I I think they're reacting in a way that is not very convincing that they're 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 they're, they are doing that a bit of that protective the church thing, but there is a little bit of stuff where it's like they're they are accusing them of some stuff that's a little bit that's a little bit weird. Like, um, though, I think that Moore is doing st- stuff in a different way, and, and you could even argue that in some ways it's more sophisticated. Um, it's it, it's not quite it's not quite clear to me um, that what they're saying is always like yeah. It's like I, they're, they're, they do have the, the the argument they make where it's both of them try to say this where it's like you know anyone that Moore disagrees with is a, is a Cartesian dualist. Um and I don't know if that's totally correct but I do think there's a little bit of that where it's like yeah I don't know like there's some moments where are you really saying that the ecological rift theory assumes that that nature and humans are just totally separate like I'm not totally convinced that that's the case uh from maybe maybe when more when they actually respond they end up accidentally teasing out limitations to their analysis or their lack of understanding of Moore's work, but there is there is some weird stuff going on. When I read that, like when I read when I read the two Moore pieces, I was less attracted to it than than I think maybe uh, uh, YouTube but only to the extent that the stuff that wasn't attractive to me was just like this doesn't quite feel like what ecological rift theory is about. Like this doesn't quite feel like what. F- the fossil capitalism arguments about that's very interesting. Yeah, that's um, that's really good to know. Yeah, but but a lot of his other arguments are, I think, very solid. Like like when he when he when he's like, you can't just talk about the 1800s and industrialism. You got to push back. There's deeper logics at work. I think that stuff is fucking brilliant, actually. So, so like
0: Moore is at his worst when he's picking weird fights with people. It seems. Yeah,
1: but he's brought. <laughs> but but they, but they've come with their worst
0: too. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the thing that's really interesting here, because like um like I as a, as a like I'm not familiar with the background of this, and like all I had to go off of was the. Content of Moore's stuff, which seems to hold up, I think. I, I, I sort of like found myself nodding along with it. And then this ar- this article or this this interview as a rebuttal just didn't land for me as like anything convincing. A lot of it seemed like, hey, you seem like you actually agree with Moore, or, I'll, or else, like either either he's missing the point or something. But I mean, yes, I, I think yeah, I definitely take the thing with the, the gas fighting or whatever. If that if if Moore is being weird on his own argumentation, then the count the response to that is going to seem weird even if it's correct um that's 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 definitely a, a, an interesting aspect of this
1: i think I still definitely do better to come off as a, you know not like um a high school clique mhm right like i think i think i think i think that it, i really do take i definitely agree with your assessment of of that i think that's dead on like well that's come on just. there's bits here where i think foster is like explicitly like he, the, his
0: defense is that you know Moore is attacking the movement and the people or whatever and that's that's just not substantive like I don't care that he's attacking a movement like I think it, it might in fact be cool and good that he's attacking a movement um just for me that that's a kind of an argument that'll simply never work on me like a kind of church defense thing um but if 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 Moore is actually getting stuff completely wrong that's a different thing but I would I would like Foster to just kind of say that uh, more straightforwardly
2: I don't know like I mean when when like When Foster says, you know, Descartes distinguished between mind-spirit on one hand and matter-mechanism on the other, human beings were generally associated with mind and animals of machines. This is quite different from the distinction between society and nature that Moore calls a Cartesian binary. I don't really buy that. I think it's it's not coincidental that, uh, you know um matter mechanism is associated with animals and animals are part of nature yeah like- <laughs> right like <laughs> it, it's like like i i don't think that this is as like tenentious a point as foster is trying to say here like no actually like you know uh there is a line you could draw between cartesianism and the reduction of, um, or like the construction of nature as an object of exploitation, right? Like that, it's just like I don't understand why you have to go so hard on in on that. Like I don't know, it, it it's it's like it's like Marx is inheriting categories that he didn't invent and is grappling with them, and. Um, I think the point that they're drawing about the antagonism between nature and society uh, is like well taken in the sense that like you know yeah like you push this capitalism thing far enough and maybe that's it right maybe maybe nature just is like no longer recognizable uh, as something that would uh, be in coherence with our existence right? It's like, it's not like nature's going to die, right? Like, it's just, you know, there's plenty of nature out there that is inert and without life whatsoever. Uh, But, uh, you know, a nature that is uh, habitable for us is is like, you know, it's conceivable that that's going to end someday. And highlighting that uh, binary or that possibility uh, that Foster does, I, I think is reasonable. It's just like, you know, saying that there's no connection between animals as machines and nature as an ob- an inert object to be acted on seems seems a little bit
0: much. Um. I, I get the impression he's completely missing the kind of real substance of what Moore is kind of arguing, that um, there is a resonance and a kind of mutual constitution between micro-scale mental activity and macro-scale m- mental activity, that the way that the mind is conceived of ends up being kind of replicated as a larger scale like similar kind of um projection in in the kind of relations like the thing i was talking about in the previous episode of like the you know that the soul animate is the the subject that animates the otherwise inert body and the and so on and so on up the scales like that's kind of i think the heart of what Moore is trying to shift our attention onto and i don't think that yeah i agree it doesn't exclude like using your senses to detect two separate apparent objects but it is trying to like get you to think about like the ways that these things are kind of multi-scaled layered things that are on top of each other and embedded in each other which it kind of seems like mo- Foster isn't isn't either isn't picking up on or it just isn't making a convincing argument
2: uh for his his side of um I I, I it seems to me that what Foster is doing here is like basically rejecting what Moore is saying wholesale because um because the concepts that marx was drawing on to develop his theory uh were not necessarily as sophisticated or as informed by uh like like you know ob- over a century of historical scholarship as what uh what uh, you know, uh Moore is bringing in here, right? Like Moore is the advantage of a lot of historical scholarship that Marx simply did not have access to. Um
1: and so like kind of like protecting yeah, like multiple epistemological shifts at uh, at the, the at the level of Western theory, too, right? Like multiple. Yeah, um,
2: so like kind of like defending the absolute um Theoretical superiority of Marx's formulation. Uh, kinda gets Foster into trouble here, I think. It does. Um and look, I mean I'm a self described
0: Marxist and that argument absolutely does not work on me. Like I, I have no interest in defending the fucking church. None, like zero. It's that is not a worthy fucking enterprise. And if that's what Foster's doing, then I don't know. It's like it's pretty fucking bad, you know.
1: Um, yeah. but I but I do think there is another and maybe maybe it makes more sense to focus uh, to wait wait for this until we talk about work. but I do think there is an aspect of what he is what Foster is pushing back on that, that is not being touched on in, uh, at the moment right which is that um, which is that Moore really does I think Moore is a lot more hostile to Earth's, Earth system science than I think maybe uh, you folks are interpreting I, I think he's he is. He starts off that first paper, shitting on the, on the hockey stick, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right I, like, I I've spent the last fifteen years of my fucking life, like tracing out the rise of climate change denial, mm-hmm. right? And so it is not. I am not. <laughs> so if so, I am not sympathetic. If the way that you're not sympathetic to this church, I am not even remotely sympathetic to an argument that essentially just seems to, at the surface level, like replicate the worst of what the Koch brothers are on about. Oh, um, and then yeah. and then let's be. I would actually argue. I don't. Thi- I, I think the reason why uh, Moore never comes back to that point because I don't think the, the framework that he has set up is actually particularly well developed to deal with it. Right? Like this is this is this is where I am. This is and that and 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 Wark calls him out on it. I, I think correctly. Yeah. You know? Yes. It, like because ultimately the way that Moore, I, I would argue, is dealing with. Um, uh, why we, how we should problematize uh, things like Earth, Earth system science, I would argue, is, is, is essentially a genetic fallacy, right? Earth system science comes out of this moment in which uh, understanding nature in this certain way is related to colonialism and patriarchy and capitalism. And that's, and as such, I don't, ever, I don't have to deal with any of this shit anymore. I can just add hyphens to stuff and then draw on historical. And no, seriously, and draw on historical analysis. I never have to bring it back. And he never does so i don't think i don't think they're dealing with that in the, in the most sophisticated or smartest or sympathetic way, but I really think that is a fucking issue <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is absolutely. an issue like if you have no meaningful way to be like wh- how should we deal with this data like how should we deal with that graph right like how should we deal with our understanding of the nitrogen cycle when we think about uh, when we think about uh uh agriculture and soil depletion and all this sort of stuff that is a bit of a problem like because at this point I don't know, like it's, we, we kind of need to deal with that in a, in a serious way. And Moore doesn't really ever come back around to talking about how he would, like, like the stuff that he wants to deal with dialectically, he deals with dialectically, but he doesn't deal with the development of earth system science dialectically. It's a genet- it's just a genetic fallacy. It's a completely essentialist critique, I would argue. Um, and I don't think that holds up. And so I, don't, I think that they're just being kind of snarky and, you know, they're not really engaging with that very seriously, but they are all pissed about that
0: maybe it doesn't warrant being taken seriously <laughs> yeah. they're
1: pissed about the fact that they spent the last that these folks spent the last decade learning about shit like like the science of like the the water table and like the nitrogen cycle and f- global fish stocks and and um and and uh and cl- and climate change and like atmospheric science and more just kind of snarkily deconstructs it at the beginning of a, of a two-part essay and then never comes back to it so, I, I, I mean, I, I am standing a bit for these folks because, like, I, I do come from a background where they, they were sort of formative for me. And I, but I do take Moore's critique about, of them very seriously. But I do think it shouldn't be – when I talk about gaslighting, like, that's gaslighting. Mm-hmm. That's, like, totally. we're, we're at fucking crisis mode and, like, your big fucking snarky moment. Like, he, like there's one moment there's one moment in the two, one sentence where he's like, but I'm not like the eco-modernists. Like, I'm not like uh, Ted Schellenberger or whatever or, or the Breakthrough Institute. All right, I've been through peer review enough now to know that when that one sentence comes in, a reviewer asked for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moore didn't do it. Moore more spent multiple paragraphs shitting on those, these, these folks. And then a reviewer was like, what does that mean? You're basically like the breakthrough Institute and these eco modernists. And he's like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm going to add this one (laughs) sentence in after the review. I can't know that for sure, but that would be my guess based on how I would deal with that. Right. If I, if, if you see one sentence in my work or anyone else's work in a peer reviewed paper, that's like, Oh, but, but this, 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 someone asked me to put that in and I'm trying to put the least amount of time and effort into it as humanly possible. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah so i think like um yeah i think like you know uh it's absolutely like absolutely i agree with you about like Moore's hostility to sort of like <laughs> science in general <laughs> it's is pretty worrying. uh it, like it is it is um what should i say uh like kind of opportunist in the way that that uh, like Foster and Co. are accusing him of here because like, there are sections in Moore's writing where he's essentially drawing on maybe not Earth System science, but like certainly scientific scientific systems connections of ecology. Um, in order to make an argument about the development of capitalism, right? And when, you know, he wants to make political points, he's going to kind of like throw that stuff under the bus. So there is a a little bit that I think is like, you know, either like gaslighting or or just opportunistic about Moore's employment of that science. Um, I do think, nevertheless... There are some valuable things about it um, from a scientific point of view. Uh, So before we move on, though, I would like to uh, just take a quick look at this uh, discussion of value theory um, later in the essay or the interview. Um, So uh, Angus says, um, Moore says that your approach to Marxist ecology drives a wedge between Marxist historical materialism and Marxist theory of value. He claims that his approach is closer to Paul Burkett's in its stress on the economic impact of environmental change. Is this correct? Uh, Foster says, Paul and I both rubbed our eyes in disbelief over that. The idea that we differ on value theory is absurd on the face of it since we frequently write together on the subject, most recently in our joint book, Marks of the Earth. In Marx's ecology, I emphasize that the value analysis in Burkett's Marx and Nature was crucial to my own analysis. In my foreword to the Haymarket edition of Burkett, Marx and Nature, I stress that his account of Marx's ecological value form theory represents a crucial breakthrough in our understanding of Marx's ecology. Moore himself is no defender of Marxian value theory. His manipulation of the value concept in his book resembles the word games of postmodernist literary discourse rather than the rigorous materialist method of radical political economy. He runs roughshod over crucial distinctions such as those between value and wealth, exchange value and use value. The end result is pure idealism as in his glorification of the centrality of capitalist commodity value as a logic reproducing the flow of life. One could expect such a statement from a Proudhon or a Düring but never from Marx or Engels. Uh, so what does Moore mean when I, then by saying that I drive a wedge between historical materialism and Marx's theory of value? This has to do with his claim that there can be no ecological crisis unless it is a crisis of value and therefore an economic crisis for capital. Um, What he objects to is the view which he associates with me, but is just as much held by Burkett and ultimately stems from Marx, that there is more than one form of ecological crisis and that economic crises and and ecological crises do not necessarily determine each other. Um, there are the ecological crises that Moore himself recognizes those related to increasing resource costs that translate into higher costs for the economy, but there are also other ecological crises, though he d- d- rejects this, caused by the fact that nature is for the most part outside capital's value calculus, that the disruption to natural processes and even the earth system does not enter into the system's normal accounting. These are crises such as the destruction of species and of whole ecosystems like coral reefs or even the anthropogenic rifts in the entire earth system that define the Anthropocene today. Um, so blah, blah, Basically, Marx is great because Marx did not confine ecological crises to ecological crises for capitalism. Like he, he recognized that there could be an ecological crisis that may be conditioned by capitalism, but... Could progress in significant ways for humanity and for you know life on Earth uh, in a way that is uh, external to capital uh, to to like a capitalist of crisis of overproduction or underproduction, um, and like I I think this is quite interesting because like so if if Moore is in fact saying there is no possibility of an ecological crisis outside of one that is manifest in value terms, then I think that is quite absurd, right? I I get the impression, I don't get the impression, when we read those essays, I didn't get the impression that that's what he
0: thought, though, because he does reiterate a couple of times in between his fucking paragraph after paragraph kind of ravings about um, Holland or whatever. Um, But he does does re-emphasize again and again that, like, The crisis is real and it is a real phenomenon in the world and it is really happening. And that I think it's, I think he's often accused here of like taking capital's viewpoint and and so on, which I think is maybe partially fair. But I think maybe, and it's, it's, it could be that I'm reading it into more rather than more actually saying it. But I think maybe what he's more getting at is that capital does its thing. And it does it by restructuring the biosphere. And whatever the crisis is, it doesn't care. That it, it has a subjectivity of its own that is alien and um, driven towards a, a malign purpose. And that, yes, we think that when all the trees disappear, that's a bad thing, but it doesn't give a shit. And that's that's different from saying that there's no such thing as an ecological crisis that's not expressed in value terms. And I think another dimension of what he's getting at is that... Um, Capitalism produces pathological natures and then adapts itself to whatever pathological natures emerge. So that it, that like I think what he's maybe trying to claim is that capital will route around the problem in a way that pleases itself ultimately. There is also, of course, the poss- the ver- like we will, of course, suffer and it's a fucking horrifying catastrophe. But there's a kind of gothic grandeur to it, right? That like it's 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 a malignant, disgusting kind of process that is. Indifferent to human and ecological concerns, and yes, we think of it as a crisis, and it is a very real crisis. But it's still hap- like I, I don't know. Like there's, I think there's something Fosters maybe missing here.
2: I, 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 I think at least on the point of capitalism producing nature's, uh, uh, Moore has a very strong argument, right. Like, I think that that is something that Foster and company seem to be, like, very, very hostile to. Like, like this, this idea of, of capitalism producing nature in, like, the sense of, like, you know, monocrops or, you know, we, we talked about all this stuff in the previous episode. But, like, you know, reshaping the ecology of entire swaths of the earth in like natural configurations that were just previously not there, um, I think is a very strong argument that Moore is making. And, um, you know, there's this line, I think I just hop over to the Malm article briefly, but in the end of his article here, uh, Andreas Malm says, um, the ongoing sixth mass extinction looks particularly amenable to the sort of analysis outlined here. Thus, we have strong evidence that the long postponement of the crackdown on the bustling London ivory market promised by the Tories has provided continuous incentive to criminal syndicates to slaughter African ele- elephants and smuggle their tusks into Britain. But we have no signs of the elephants jumping off cliffs or otherwise committing mass suicide. Like, okay. What's he getting at? Like, like, what the fuck is no, he trying like, to do? Like, like, I, like he's, he's doing exactly the thing that Moore is saying is he saying, "Well, elephants don't have minds, so clearly they're not part of society"? So clearly, yeah. this distinction holds up. Like that—that that is exactly what Moore is talking about. Yeah. Uh, so then he he goes he goes on to say uh, the biodiversity being torn apart is neither a human creation nor a source of agency in this disaster. On that environmental issue, as well as on any other, it is possible to say of ecological Marxist import, uh, say something of eco- ecolog- ecological Marxist import only by practicing property dualism. So it's like, so like I, I don't, I just don't agree that bio, like that the way in which capitalism reorganizes and recreates nature does not have its own agency in this disaster. Like like what is this COVID crisis we are in right now if not exactly that? Like this this is a natural configuration that was created like these wet markets were created by capitalist development in China but and the crisis was created by, you know, the 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 mass air travel and tourism that has been created by capitalist development, and the kinds of spaces we live in that have been created by capitalist development, and that has created a very particular kind of um, biological growth that is really crucial to understanding the crisis we are in right now. Um, yeah. Oh, this this is vexing because, like, it yeah, it, 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 this is it, it's it's it's
0: also that sort of thing I was going on about of like oh. He's, they're accused of being Cartesians and then they're basically with responses to go, Well, yeah, I mean we are and we're proud of it. And it's like, no, we dumbasses. But also like um, like I
2: see that more in Malm than I do yes, in Foster. Certainly. But it 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 it's still kind of there in Foster in that sense of just being so hostile to the idea of capitalism producing nature.
0: And it's so weird because they keep trumpeting this, like, uh, dialectics thing, right? That, like, they're, they're, they're the true, true believers, right? The, the sworn faithful of dialectics. And yet, on this particular point, they flatly refuse to entertain a dynamic mutually constitutive, like, dialectical actual, like, emergence between these these terms, right? They're, they're, they they really do go in for the whole thing of, like, no, no, capital is the the bad agent, and nature is, you know, uh, unmoving and pristine and is impinged. But, like, exactly what they're accused of, they fucking double down on. But it's also inconsistent with their own kind of argumentation. Like, they're kind of like, accusing more of being insufficiently dialectical, which I kind of take to mean like, insufficiently, like, a defender of the faith or whatever. But then... They're they're trying to use this, like, complex systems, like, integrative uh, argument, but then refusing to drink their own Kool-Aid on it when it comes to this very particular issue. And that also happens to be, co- not by coincidence, the very particular issue that Moore takes aim at. I don't know. It's, it's deeply unconvincing stuff, you know, on this level. Also, like, in, in the Malm thing, there's one there's one fucking line here that I think is absolutely just cartoonishly fucking stupid like he does this he's, he's quoting Moore here that capitalism makes nature nature makes capitalism end quote neither of these propositions is true capitalism emphatically does not make nature nature most definitely does not make capitalism it is the utter disharmony between the two that needs to be accounted for and is that which the theory of the metabolic rift has so consistently foregrounded and like Malm I'm sorry that's just fucking categorically wrong like I mean it's just and also it's it, you're doubling down on the thing you're being fucking accused of here it's it, that it, I, this this particular line for me uh really kind of gave me the the like you know you know the gel amnesia effect is, is that familiar to anyone? i'll I'll, I'll need to explain it for the listeners anyway so murray Gell-Mann was this physicist or whatever but there's this kind of anecdote of him like leafing through a newspaper and he's like there's a pop science article in there and he's just kind of chuckling to himself at how fucking stupid it is and like the reporters get all the details wrong and they they kind of miss the point of what's actually being said by the scientists and he's just like that's that's stupid and then turns to the next page where it's an article about palestine and just absorbs it as if it were you know unproblematically true and like the the amnesia there is he forgets how fucking badly wrong they got one thing and then you know entertains the possibility that they didn't get anything else wrong but like this spooked me honestly about the malm stuff and I'll, I'll reiterate I'm not actually familiar with their work but this fucking spooked me it's like i i'm not sure i can trust this mind uh with this kind of statement it's 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 actually kind of scary you know
2: and uh, like i think that it's I don't know. This just a statement about the elephants. It's like, you know, um are like, do you really know that much about how these elephants have responded to being hunted on yeah. mass? Is it is it like, inconceivable it, that they would do that? It, it, is, not it, is it so yeah. inconceivable that they might have an emotional reaction to their like, you know, this this mass hunting? It it it, it it's very strange to me. It it does it like it really does smack of Cartesianism. Like, I feel like this is this is something I would have said when I was younger and was a lot more convinced of that worldview. Um it, it, it's just yeah, it's I don't know. Like that that is that is really, really odd. I
0: think that's that's maybe why it stands out to us, is that like I mean our whole research project is kind of thrusting in the very opposite direction of this this strain of thought, right? And it's so obvious when we see it. And like, I th- you're right; like that is recognisable as a thing I would have believed at one point. It's like, oh no, there's there's no way that like you know na- things in nature are agents. Like, oh only only people are agents. Only men are agents, for instance. You know, only only the capitalist West is is a, is a real agent. Everything else is inert. And it's, why is he fucking doubling down on that? What the hell is happening? <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Like this is not yeah. the argument to make. Yeah. If, if, if anyone is trying to convince me of anything, this is this is definitely not the way to go. <laughs> wow, I don't know. So, Bob, like, is is Mom on fucking pills here, or like, is this a characteristic of the rest
1: of his work? And I, mean, I kind of want to believe that it's not. So, my take would be like, so first off, I don't actually associate Mom uh, with. Uh, as as a as a developer of ecological rift theory, as such, I kind of think of him think of him as more. I Maybe mean, I, I might be off on of this in terms of his larger body work. I think he he developed in that direction, but I kind of think of him as piggybacking off of like Foster and like Brett Clark and uh, York and stuff like that. Um, and so so like okay, so here's here's what's here's what Mom is actually known for. Uh, mom is known for doing not at the, maybe at the theoretical level, but a sort of similar sort of like historical, theoretical, analytical account that Moore is talking about, is developing um, with like the development of these subsequent capitalist world ecologies and development of capitalism. He's known for doing, uh, uh, writing a really seminal, A book um, that does a similar ish, I mean, they'd probably all claim that it's not similar at all, but in my mind, kind of similar ish account of uh, the connection between fossil fuels use, industrialism, colonialism, and capitalist development. Uh, What's interesting to me about him keeping along. Uh, with this kind of Car- you know Cartesian sort of uh, argument and counter argument, is that when it comes to how he talks about oil, and this is where I kind of thought he was being gaslit a little bit, uh, when he comes to talking about the development of oil, it's definitely not that oil is just this thing with properties that are biophysical and they impede on humans and then we get like capitalism. It's like oil as we know it is constructed out of like colonial relations and it's this weird confluence of like biochemical. Uh, you know, a biochemical uh, uh, processes that creates particular you know, substance that uh, that somehow gets reworked and reconceptualized by European knowledge and the colonial project and early capitalist project. So that like these things, you know, the, how oil develops is Kind of interpenetrated with how capitalism development develops, which you know, and then going back and, and tracing the climate crisis to that. And while him, he and folks like Ian Angus talk about the um, Anthropocene, their entire his entire argument, I would argue, is to critique the notion of the Anthropocene in the way that. More does, which is that the, which is that the public understanding of the Anthropocene is like liberal bourgeois nonsense that is designed to pretend that humans plus, uh, humans plus nature equals degradation, whereas it has to be related to the, like, class, uh, colonial and even, 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 um, uh, uh racialized relationships generated out of the European Colonial project and, and, and in particular the British Colonial project. And so it's very weird to me because it, I almost wonder if there's something like there's an aspect of his thought that that does not hold up to what he takes as like as aspects of his analysis in terms of what he's known for that maybe aren't in alignment with the intellectual building blocks he thinks he's using to develop the analysis. Yeah, if that if that makes any sense, because I would say that f- mom's fossil cat, like I, I, mean, I am standing for it a bit. I would almost say it's like like for for listeners, I would say like you know maybe don't throw out any engagement with mom's work because this this answer is unconvincing. Because I actually think it is that works a little more sophisticated mm-hmm. than either more makes it sound. Actually, I don't. The way Moore treats it is is kind of wild to me, but also that that mom's uh, response is is not very sophisticated. Actually, I think how he develops his work is pretty good. I, I think I think I think where Moore really has mom is in tracing these things back. Before the development of oil and gas and not using um but but that itself is more that that itself has much more in my i would argue uh to do with the debate between world systems analysis and political Marxism than it actually does between uh new materialism and uh and dialectics like that's how I interpret it like like yeah. because that's the exact like that's the argument between Wallerstein and uh, who's that fucking guy I mean Ellen wood but also you know the who who who's who brenner. T- Brenner. Yeah. That's, that's to me, what that really stems that too. So I agree with pretty much all, a lot, a lot of, to most, maybe most of, or all of what you're saying, but I think that, uh, and, and that they do not uh, recuse themselves well, but at the same time, like it's weird. It's just weird to me that mom would go in that direction because he does. I could also understand why mom would be pissed for someone to say that, uh, oh, I, I just, I just think oil is this magical thing that, uh, uh you know just produces you, you you add it you add it to european uh, english england and then you get capitalism and industrialism like that's really not what he's doing and it's quite a good book i would say actually personally. yeah I, I
0: could definitely I, I could definitely believe that maybe Malm just isn't put his, putting his best foot forward here and it's yeah it's, it's not a not a reason to write off the whole thing at all um but yeah that's it's very interesting that there's so much confluence there and yet and yet it reads as if there's this huge divergence it's very strange um,
2: Yeah, I I think like, you know, there's also there's also just a a certain degree to which like, you know, you could be good at polemicizing but bad at theorizing Mm. and the opposite. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Like like you know, like Bob's polemic does not come off well. Is what I will I will say. Yeah, I've yeah, certainly yeah, written I incoherent true. screeds when I've been when I've been mad.
0: You know, I've I've had that, I've had that vibe. I've <laughs> just like looking back and was like, what the fuck did I write? So it didn't even make sense. Uh, yeah, just, in two thousand and five,
1: I got I got kicked off the the Bob Dylan um, uh, fan uh, message board uh, <laughs> <What>? because <laughs> I can't. Yeah, no. because 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 I I just started launching into these polemics. Apparently had nothing to do with uh, uh, with uh, uh, the Bob Dylan's music at any. Oh point yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have an unfortunate
0: <laughs> habit of doing that, and I think it's I kind of partially put it down to the the um, the kind of impedance mismatch between uh, I guess general UK or, or or American kind of Anglo culture where a, a certain kind of passive aggressive attitude is valued. Um, and be, being a, you know, Hibernian uh, barbarian by a, by, a, by breeding, I, I'm much more active aggressive. Uh, my, my, st- my style is massively more active aggressive than passive aggressive. And I think that just kind of rubs people the wrong way. Uh, yeah, I,
1: I've been trying to move in that direction too because I find uh, if you just, if you keep it at the passive aggressive level, then you just sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, just, uh, it, you know, maybe if you start off the passive aggressive level, you just turn it, you turn into a mom style polemic because you're not, you're there's just too much repressed uh too much repressed psychic energy mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> absolutely. to get really flaky with it yeah. you know like there's there's, yeah, the, there's we're, a we're feeling into, of like,
2: freudianism now yeah,
1: yeah. It, it it feels <laughs> it feels very like like there's aspects of mom's polemic that don't it doesn't read like the guy uh, the guy that wrote fossil capital um or fossil capitalism it reads more like how i you know you know what there's this absolutely uh this this sounds uh uh I don't like uh, quoting him approvingly uh, for anything, but you know, like the libertarian um, uh, uh, ex Rolling St- uh, Stone conservative, ex Rolling Stone journalist uh, P.G.O. work. Like the guy that took on um, the guy that took on um, Hunter S. Thompson's uh, chair at Rolling Stone, who then, when he left, th- that moved over to Matt Taibbi. That he's like a real reactionary piece of shit, but he's got that kind of uh, that kind of Hunter Thompson style, uh, uh, just 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 a, a, a vicious sort of uh, plays on words. And he has this line where he talks about um, how much he likes Ann Coulter. Uh, and he says, and he says uh, why, you know what I love about Aunt Coulter is that it's like everything that I say while drunk uh, in front of my bathroom mirror at three in the morning, she says on national TV in prime time. Uh, I feel there's 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 an element of the mom response that's just like he was drunk at three in the morning
0: (laughs) it's like right I'm sick of this shit I'm gonna type up this response
1: yeah he's not he's just like and and in that in that moment just like not really thinking clearly maybe not thinking about the implications of some of the ideas he's used to develop his analysis I'd almost even draw a distinction between the polemics the theory and the analysis he puts forward of the rise of fossil capital because I think the, the analysis is quite good but maybe it's sitting on top of a bed of theory that he's he's under theorized and not thought through and it's upsetting to him which i think is you know that shit upsets me
2: well that that is a perfect segue for going on to the work uh essay here the work review
1: yeah Uh, because as, as a cucumber actually
2: yeah as as she says uh what is it now the, uh, the first principles are never as interesting or second or third principles anyway. I think that's the uh, so, case, right? you know, yeah. As Deleuze once fam- famously noted. So, you know, we could, we could charitably apply that to Malm as well. Um, uh, but uh, – Yeah, I think that's probably pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so this is a uh, review in public seminar of uh, uh, Moore's book, uh, Capitalism in the Web of Life. Um, and I, I would definitely say that work out of these three critics of Moore comes out the best. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In that she, she actually puts forward a believable fucking argument. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, it's um, not even really a polemical piece. It's more of a uh, kind of. You know, gentle criticism, yeah, uh, more so than full on polemic. So, uh, I mean, like a, a fully a third of the of the review.
0: I mean, because it is a review, um, is kind of either paraphrasing or quoting or sort of summarizing Moore's various positions, and then often just kind of concluding with, yeah, I basically agree, but, you know, maybe there's this other way we could develop it, or maybe there's a, there's a gap in the armour somewhere. Um, so there's a lot of agreement here, um, but I think... I found this kind of pretty dense and kind of hard to follow, and it's, it's fairly long as well, so I, I have a feeling I'm, I'm probably on the weaker footing out of the three of us here, but um, I did like her uh, way of kind of explaining... What she kind of found insufficient about this uh, about this uh, this whole this whole position, and specifically uh, the stuff about like the way uh, the way Moore just throws the science overboard, <laughs> you know, she makes a convincing argument for why that's maybe a bad move.
1: <laughs> I would almost say like like this is not Wark's approach at all, as far as I can tell, in terms of my, my limited understanding of their well, sorry, the approach I was about to, so I would say, but but almost what, what the the argument that work is almost making strikes me as, and I'll say as a, as a, as a, um, uh, a dirty, uh, uh, Gramscian, still very interested in representation and epistemology. Um, I, I would say that there's almost an ar- like just an argument about like, look like, like, these folks like, like that folk, like, like my buddy who I was talking about last time, the last episode about, you know, who's, who's in the fort, you know, getting paid by forestry, but at the same time using that money to try to develop this like Gaia theory style, like how the trees are communicating and stuff and how we're just fucking that over. It's like, like if you were to show Moore's work to him and I've been slowly feeding him like David Harvey and shit like over time like you know getting him because because he knows that capitalism is just like oh this is a disaster like he does his work he's like this is a disaster like I can read the science I'm 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 well I'm knowledgeable about uh earth and ocean science I'm knowledgeable but but he's always been critical of the types of dualisms in the field that uh Moore is also critiquing and I get the impression from knowing him for like now almost 20 years that uh that um, he's probably part of a community of, of scientists who are all kind of pushing back on that, you know, and, and trying to rethink. And, like, that's been a process over the last... Uh, in, in environmental sociology, so, I mean, I think this is a bit of a false distinction. Sometimes they, they talk about the difference between um, what what more, like, productive science that is this this totally technocratic... Like, this is how... This is where Western science comes from. It's all just about instrumentalizing nature, instrumentalizing um, exploitation and colonialism and the and, and, and patriarchy and all these sorts of things. Things. And then there's this kind of like self reflexivity moment of the development of, um, through fits and starts and mistakes of developing, you know, earth system science and stuff that they think of as more like impact science, like this recognition that what we're doing now and the ideas that we're working with and that we assume in terms of the separation between nature and nature is just something we can use to produce more shit or do whatever we want with it, is a total disaster. And those are the people from a Gramscian sense that are like, those are some of your organic intellectuals right like those are some of the people that you want to be this is what work I think is saying although would not use this language because this is not her approach right is, uh, is like you really want to piss these people off like the same people that are getting death threats like if the if the hockey stick fucking graph I'll keep coming back sorry if the hockey stick graph is so amenable to capitalist exploitation of the fucking planet then why the fuck have the Koch brothers and every other capitalist on the planet spent <laughs> the last 15-20 <laughs> years trying to trying to discredit it Absolutely. like you right? can't make sense of the actual political political activity of, of, of finance, resource, and fossil capital, and just manufacturing capital uh, uh, by, by throwing that shit out. So it, I think she's just like, man, maybe we want to actually develop relationships with these people because there's aspects of Moore's piece where he would read it and he'd be like wow yes I've been trying to say this for 20 years we're, we're trying to push back on this shit and rethink this shit but then there's some other shit where it's just like you know you know no one's going to listen to what you the, the the brilliant point you make if then if, uh, the second thing you do is uh, you know just kick him in the junk
0: there's, there's real, yeah, there's a real call here to kind of like have the, have the sciences and the, the, the humanities work together on this, which is a, a fairly easy pitch. You know, that's, a, that's an imminently sensible thing. And I think that the hostility is a real obstacle.
1: It really is. I love the feminist critique, by the way. That kind of like, hey, what did, um, you know, what did uh, Haraway do, right? Like Haraway points out how how much of this fucking patriarchal science bullshit is just structuring all these assumptions, but then goes out and looks for these kind of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll, this is not my usual framework, but I'll just say uh, I'll go full delusian. Lines of flight, you know. What are the what are the what are the lines what are the lines of flight that we're not really you know that are that are a hap- that are that are present here? You know,
0: that's definitely an angle here, right? There's because uh, that's the other side of it from the like, hey, let's all be friends, right? There's the the angle that um, and it, t- it ties in with this notion that uh, more is kind of. You know, looking at the problem from capital's viewpoint, and it's it's a, a capital centric sort of thing, which is which is which is fair, I think. Um, but uh, she's saying that, like, yes, these technologies and these techniques and these sciences initially are captured and turned into these royal sciences for the use of capital, but in the investigation of these phenomena. The scientists are necessarily brought into contact with an outside that is not anything to do with capital's viewpoint. Like, um, we even get views onto, um, you know, historical, or not prehistorical epochs, like uh, geological epochs, where human beings, let alone capitalism, were simply not present. And that, that is a kind of traumatic intrusion from the outside into, into the kind of value system of the interior. And so it's you know it, it's introducing this thing that like these, these sciences or these kind of observations are not necessarily beholden to the origin point, the, the genesis. I think you said it, Bob, that like it's a genetic fallacy to um to, to say that like, oh well, you know, geoscience or whatever is necessarily tainted by its origin in within um within capitalist development.
1: Yeah, yeah Instead of thinking of it as a bit maybe maybe a potential site of struggle itself that that proceeds a little bit uh, you know it's kind of like when um you know when Althusser talks about the ideological state apparatus and on one hand he'll be like he'll be like oh you know it just it it, uh, it just totally interpolates everyone and it's structured just to like you know the school system is just structured to turn you into this that the other but then there's just like these like two sentences maybe it was also a reviewer sort of thing where it was where it's just like hey of course there are you know good teachers who try to reform the system from within and are pushing back on that and that's how you get development of uh, pedagogy in different places and it's like you get the impression without the series not really that he like his heart's not in that argument like that's not you know but it's it's just but but he couldn't really he couldn't he couldn't be credible and just throw away every teacher in the world as an unwitting stooge of capital because then you can't really make sense of how the education system um, develops in some ways right He'd be painting himself into a corner there, right? There's there's, there's always something excessive
0: that's not captured by the system. Like, it, it's, it's this problem of, like, thinking about totalizing systems is that there there is always, by definition, stuff that is outside. Like, it, they, they, all systems are limited in what they can really realistically integrate. And, like, capital develops its science by, like, you know, it, it can't realistically direct and program the minds of all the scientists that are involved. So it has to allow them autonomy to discover the cool things that it would like to appropriate. Like, there's always there's always that trade-off of, like, allowing the artisan enough leeway to do their job correctly and then capturing their output. But there's always that risk that the artisan will discover something that you don't like. Um, and so there, there's always an excess. There's always something that isn't under capital's control. Uh, I think that's a necessary corrective here.
2: And I, I think if we are to kind of uh, synthesize... Uh, Works critique with Moore's, uh sorry, with Foster's critique of Moore. Um, I think that, like, you know, in the same way that um, Moore's focus on history as like a fundamental perspective uh, discounts any possibility of sort of like reckoning with time outside human time. Um, And, you know, that's sort of like prehistoric or timescales that are like, you know, operating beyond that. Um, You know, maybe uh, something that Foster's touching on that might be valid as a critique of Moore is that he really can't think past human time either to a time where... You know it's just over the ecological crisis has ended history like in a truly definitive sense um and like you know i think that that's where like you know as you've sort of been saying bob like that's where some of the upsets coming from is like like yo look like this is a real crisis and it's not just a historiographical curiosity right um like this, this you know, in the the famous words of George W. Bush, "This sucker could go down." Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 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 profit levels could like I think where the, what 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 some of this stuff comes from. It. So, the more you get the sense that profit levels would necessarily have to go down along with. Um, along with the disruption of any type of ecological process because these things are so mutually constituted. I'm not convinced of that at all. (laughs) Like, like, profit levels could stay very fucking high even while the sea levels rise. That would be my argument. I don't think there's... or Or at least I don't think more has convincingly made the case that they can actually be, even if Foster's argument is not a sophisticated rebuttal or is also not grasping with the complexity of the situation uh, that that Moore is, which I completely agree with both of you on that. Um, But I do think there's an issue where it's like, even flipping through Moore's book a little bit, which I did do a little bit uh, before before coming back here, because I wanted to get a better sense, it's like it is very clear that he thinks that there really is no way to separate a capitalist crisis from a from a ecological crisis because these two systems are mutually created. That gives you the impression that. Capital will like at some point. Capital will fail to find more cheap's, and I think that aspect is that's true. I mean, Moore's argument there is I think absolutely ironclad and actually quite brilliant. But there's also the possibility that that because of the nature of capitalist accounting, and this is something that even I think the the, the dullest um, institutional ecological economists st- stuck in the neoclassic who are all obsessed with externalities and shit um, are, are, do I think get. At a certain point where it's like, yeah, you could just have the fucking you could just have the value of capital continue to rise. Um, Like, I mean, I mean, the classic example is like, you know, you know, sometimes there's sometimes like GDP will get a boost after uh, a fucking catastrophic oil spill. Because you're gonna you're gonna spend a shit ton of money cleaning that thing up. Uh, you've got to hire a bunch of people. You got to build a whole bunch of capital. You'll destroy a bunch of. You can think of your natural capital as fixed capital, which has now been destroyed. Like kind of like uh, how how the depression was was dealt with um, from the mass destruction of capital, liquidation of capital through World War II. Right. Um, I, it's it's not entirely clear that um, that uh, that. That the right the mass of the massive reproduced capital can't keep rising like people can't keep making money um, even while uh, a series of uh, biophysical uh, processes get like fundamentally disrupted disrupted and reworked because that's kind of what happened with climate change for a while right it's like it's I would argue that capital is only now only now are certain factions of cap fractions of capital in different locations started to reorganize around climate um, there's a solid 30 Forty years, right? Where, or fifty years, maybe? Where it's just like you know, the problem is getting worse and worse and worse. And capital doesn't have to reorganize, right? Like, like it's actually like the abstract representational system science that predicted the crisis before we actually had measurements for it. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you really, if you really want to push it back, like there, there are some folks um, arguing that this was going to happen, um, you know, in the late eighteen hundreds. They, they, you know, the, 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 the. the the genus of anthropogenic climate change theory. So it's, uh, it started developing. And so it's like, well, it, it's, it's not necessarily clear that, from me, my perspective, that a cri- that the crisis has to be, um, that there's no way to, that, 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 that they're always going to go together because they're two parts of the same coin. It's not entirely clear to me that that's the case.
2: I, I think it's really a matter of the synchronicity of timescales here, Right like i I think that Moore is correct that uh without the four cheaps capital or sorry uh uh real profitability that's not just like you know some kind of uh purely fictitious uh post capitalist uh weirdo world um cannot go on without the four cheaps uh but yeah the the these like sort of like the way the timescales at which these things become crises and like the way in which they can be crises for different people at different stratas of capital uh, are not really synchronous. Like it's not like, you know, we've we've kind of hit the most dramatic example of what we're talking about with this uh, COVID-19, right? Like, it is, it is that case where the crisis of capitalism and the crisis of a uh, nature uh, are literally, like, synchronous. Like, you know, the, spread, the virus spreads and instantly it, ca- it causes the entire system of capital accumulation to seize up, right? But I don't think that most crises uh, that originate In nature really operate on that same kind of synchronous time Um, and and so like i I think that that's probably where the divergence happens um the typical case is something that's much more uh asynchronous um in the way that the two things interact with each other i mean even asynchronous on the level of like um i mean
0: uh, something that was kind of drilled into our heads in school was that like Ireland used to be covered in forests and now it's just not, there aren't, there aren't really any trees left there. Um, but if you get to live there today, uh, you're, you're a good couple of hundred or maybe a thousand years out of sync with the, the event the, of, of accumulation that did that. Um, so I think the timescales might be just a bit too weird to really kind of synchronize them, but like it, it, it overall as like
1: a monistic kind of system, it would all come into sync eventually. Right. Um, well, and where Moore is on extreme, I think one of the reasons why his history is on such solid ground, and, uh, and obviously uh, what, Kyle, what you're talking about, the coronavirus is a different sort of thing, and, and it shows maybe the power of his approach, but I think one of the reasons why his history is on such solid ground is because he's really talking about primary resource extraction and production throughout that history. And so, you know, if you cut down all the trees, you need more trees from somewhere, Right. If you deplete the uh, uh, the soil, or you fucking. Classify a bunch of human beings as as uh, beasts of burden and then work them to fucking death. Um, then then you need to find a, another source of cheap labor, whether that's by investing in machinery that uh, you know, like the cotton mill or whatever, or whether that's by uh, you know whatever it happens to be, right? Uh, but there are might be other places where Kyle, as you're saying, the uh, the uh, it's, it is a little more asynchronous because you know when it, it might be a little bit different than so for instance something that's extremely uh, was extremely synchronous uh, and and Shane, I don't know. Uh, if if uh, you have any of this context, and you it, it really there's not much you need to know. Other than that, back in the day, uh, Canada used to have massive cod fisheries on the east coast. It was one of the things that that, that attracted, um, uh, made the east coast so attractive from the perspective of English uh, and, and to a lesser extent French uh, uh, colonialism and imperialism. Um, and then we just we just took more and more of it, and more and more of it, and more and more of it, and then it fucking collapsed. And then you and then we uh, we to uh, the international fishing industry and the Canadian fishing industry needed to invest in, like, even more long-distance deep-sea trawlers so they could go out to the middle of the fucking ocean. And then we have to develop fish farms on the West Coast that, like, create, like, where all the fish have these uh, fucking crazy lice. And then, like, the fish, like, jump the fucking, basically jump the fucking net and get in the ocean. They infect all the wild fish. Like, it's it's textbook more. It is 100% what he said. And that's the sort of thing where it's like, man, like, that type of event Moore's framework explains so beautifully, you know, like even, if I, even if I'm pushing back on him a little bit, I got to say, like, there's so much stuff there that is just like, wow. But maybe there's going to be other situations where, yeah, the like coronavirus, we say, yeah, it's happening at the same time. Maybe there's other situations where capital doesn't recognize that it's run out of cheap nature um, for certain types of things.
0: Yeah, I guess that's, that's like the thing I was saying with like, it, it's it is a process that is kind of producing a pathological ideal environment for itself but is also indifferent to it so that it is very possible for the um for the thing to kind of paint itself into a corner without realizing it that is absolutely it i think, and it will be a, a huge traumatic crisis for you know everyone that's alive and stuff but the the inhuman machinery of capital will keep grinding on oblivious to that fact i think that's maybe what what Moore is getting at and you know that's it's fair to say that he is looking at it from capital's angle but it just so happens that that's so upsetting because capital's angle is such an inhuman monstrous, monstrous sort of angle um it's hard not to be upset by it when you see it being portrayed right um
1: yeah, it's right. You know, you might uh, if you want to almost be uh, maybe those, fo- those folks that are that are pushing back. Some of them less convincingly might even be a little bit triggered by it. You know, like it's just like <laughs> I, I didn't mean that by the way. In a kind of like a, I realized I realize in the era of Joe Rogan, yeah. you got to be careful that people are that yeah. that people aren't uh, in- interpreting uh, uh, irony where there is isn't. I think like genuinely, it's like this is triggering shit. Like this is some traumatic. This is a traumatic process. I mean, look how, look how many people are being traumatized right now. Across the world, yeah, you know, like uh, it's 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 gnarly.
0: Um, I think I also quite liked um, Warwick's kind of point about uh, it kind of kind of like defending the the metabolic rift sort of thing and a kind of a better framing of it than than will kind of entertain. And I, I especially liked the way she kind of talked about like um, this this uh, in kind of thermodynamic terms that like if the if if it's a um, because like previously we talked about those like nested rings, right? Like at the out, the outer ring is like the entirety of the world, and then there's the um, the ring of nature, which is smaller, and then there's the ring of society, whatever, and like, and like the ring of valuation, and like the distance between the edges of the rings is kind of what gives you the the dynamics there, and like it's you could think of it as like that the the capital valuation system is a kind of um, open system at the nexus of all these flows crossing over, and it is ingesting energy and resources and then spitting out um, heat waste and like entropy and uh, and uh, and such and that that can only really go on like in this thermodynamic sense while there is something to eject the waste into like you know like it's if if the environment heats up to the same heat as the engine then the engine will, the engine will stop running um, and I also particularly liked her thing of like tying that to the, the like using by analogy the concept of peak oil right? right which like the whole peak oil thing was that like We'll, we'll hit, hit a peak where you know it's, it's, it's not that we literally run out of oil, like there, there is still oil in the ground it's just that it's no longer profitable to actually extract it, so that the the gap between the edges of the rings closes and closes and closes, and you would do something very similar with these four cheaps, where it's not that like I think the crisis of like peak cheap. I think that's maybe that's the phrase she actually uses. But it'll come before the cheap natures actually run out. It'll be at the point where it's just diminishing returns. And the, the, the closed system in an open environment is no longer able to vent um, entropy into its environment anymore.
1: And, that, and that's the story very much, I think, of the rise of um, extreme energy right? Like, and, 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 another place, like in, in terms of, um, thinking through, uh, in terms of thinking through, uh, the applicability of Moore's, uh, uh, program. Right. I mean, that's a, that's another great place, right. Where it's just like, yeah, people were naive about, so I, I in many respects, a lot of the, the environmental movement and also the, and also a lot of the kind of like gold bug adjacent, um, neoclassical cranks, right. <laughs> who, who, who were to- often talking about peak Oil, but that's kind of I think the the intersection there, right? Um, was didn't really think through it in the way what Moore I think would accuse them of quite correctly, at least if you follow his logic out, is uh, you didn't realize that that the that uh, it's completely relational, uh, how expensive or cheap. Uh, your energy is. And yeah, they're going to, like, what ha- what ended up happening was, like, in Canada, the tar sands, right? They developed, they developed, uh, first they had to develop, uh, first off, the state, uh, once again, as more mentioned, right? Like, the state is better positioned. It was the state that developed almost all of the original technological developments to get bit, uh, oil sands bitumen out of the grand, ground and process it. The Albertan government did that. The province of Alberta did that for 50 years, uh, developing that shit, because capital would never take on that investment but they did It as uh, conventional oil that 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 program ramped up as conventional oil had a price shock with the OPEC uh, uh, OPEC uh, price shock and the 1973 was it 1973 Arab Israeli Mm war right Um, and so that's that's what gives rise to the oil sands because at that point they're like oh wait the cheap's not cheap anymore And so this bullshit that's total fucking useless, Albert and bitumen is like just garbage, even even by the standards of, of, of uh, oil and gas. It's like, well, now it makes sense for us to invest in new technologies because we need to find a new cheap source of energy. And it only makes sense in that context. And of course, it's relational also because as conventional oil fields decline, uh, the price of conventional oil goes up and up. You hit a kind of, you, you that the supply, you know, you hit a you know, be the vulgar, go the vulgar neoclassical economics, but you know, the, the curves meet, the supply and demand curves meet. And so that, if you look at the rise and then, and hey, uh, Oil sands bitches gets more and more expensive and we get more political pushback oh we need to develop like a sag D we need to develop stream drilling once once that starts to dry up what do we need to do oh well we've developed sag D technology like steam assisted uh, uh, gas drilling so like hey, why don't we why don't we apply this to liquefied natural gas right uh, or, or or shale gas and turn that into liquefied natural gas we'll get fracking right and like that's the whole fucking story it's like it's just you keep they keep finding yes absolutely they are reproducing searching out but new uh, new cheap spike coming up with new new confluences of uh technical infrastructure technologies uh reclassifications of uh of uh, ge- uh um, geological uh, uh space to turn it into exploitable place if you want to go to all geography with it you know um and so that's like really i mean you know for, as someone who i know is pushing back a i gotta say that that is just an absolute from what i do and what i'm interested in um that is like a brilliant insight you know because because we've really we'll keep finding cheaps from that perspective right and it'll just become more destructive and
0: even empirically all through that process it, it, it like the state and capital have been absolutely indifferent to the damage done you know, like uh, they don't, they don't fucking care. Um, and but th- that that doesn't exclude the possibility that the r- the real will eventually get its revenge on them somehow, right? Like it's 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 not to say that it couldn't possibly fail or whatever. Um, but I mean, I think the, empirically, it's like yeah, this this thing just fucking does its thing, and it it does not give a shit what crisis it's producing. The crisis is in our minds, not in its mind. That's um, right.
1: Uh, I will just say that uh, my supervisor, who's a who's a Marxist Gramscian sociologist named Bill Carroll, who's increasingly Interested in political ecology, um, and very very interested in more. Um, and he saw Moore speak uh, a few months ago. I didn't mention this, and he said that when you when you look at what Moore is saying, Moore is absolutely aware that the, that that the. Um, that the song is coming to an end. The music is about to stop. That so 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 Foster is is not being gener- like that's not accurate in terms of my uh, my my uh, uh, bill uh, this guy's uh, interpretation of the talk because he had a chance to ch- chat with him and he said, "Yeah, oh yeah, it's very clear. You know, the music is about to stop." Yeah. I got that
0: impression, right? Yeah. I got that impression that a lot of Foster's framing of that was just kind of off. Um so um I think we're probably we should probably segue into maybe the last section where we'll kind of Maybe try to think about how this cheapening stuff is going to, you know, spe- maybe speculate on how it's going to play out in COVID world, because this, this this has been a hell of a fucking crisis. So maybe for the listeners, um, the, the, the the pair of episodes for part one and part two were recorded basically back in January, kind of before the situation really kicked off. And now we're recording this on the 12th of April in 2020, um, where, you know, it being a real, real big fucking problem is a bit more obvious. Um I'm kind of really curious about like oh cuz like capitalism has kind of grown to a halt in a weird way and also gone into a zombie mode and the s- states have kind of taken over this zombie apparatus to just keep it running with crazy MMT weirdness going on and it's it, it's very interesting to see the the kind of seemingly complete absence of the proletariat as an as an organized force the Sort of large absence of capital as an organised force, and to see uh, the state often really leading the charge in this kind of way—that is, you know—I th- I think it's maybe I think it was maybe the Swampside side folks that re- remarked on this, but it kind of gives lie to the whole um, thing about like oh, you know, money in politics is the big thing because even the Republicans threw a lot of their like business pals completely overboard with you know state action recently. It's it's been very strange times. But what I'm kind of wondering now is. If the engine of capital just comes to a halt, what the fuck happens next? And also, what's the state going to do to cheapen something to restart the engine? Because if, if the state has this role constantly of preparing the way for capital accumulation, and the state is the one holding the steering wheel largely at this moment, what, what's going to happen? Is it, are we going to run out of cheaps entirely? Or is something going to be cheapened? I, I I don't know. Does anyone want to speculate on any
2: of that? <laughs> um, I mean, there certainly are... So if, if you look at something like oil, right? Like, that is absolutely cheapened by this situation. The cost got right? fucking cut. And if... It's crazy, yeah. You know, if, if there were... Or if there comes a moment where, you know... Someone stands up and fires off the, the starting pistol, and it's time to c- accumulate capital again. That cheap oil is going to be there for the taking, right? Um, that's like, yeah, go like ahead.
1: A, a barrel of oil sands bitumen right now literally co- would c- cost less to buy um, than a pint of craft beer. Straight up, like to the point where they can't transit transport it um, because uh, but, uh, it costs them do, because they've got uh, contracts for how much it costs that are locked in for how much it costs mm-hmm. of transit um, that nice. uh, they, that it would lose them money. It, it, it's, it, it's they will make more they have they're scrambling now in the oil sands um, to find storage capacity.
0: Those are very interesting temporalities, right? Like that the, the lock-in of these, like, temporal circuits for a capital is, is really posing a problem right now. Even, even with these, like, very rapid just-in-time supply chains, it turns out you're locked into a fucking two-year contract and, like, everything changes. Yeah, Well, yeah.
1: and that, that's the what energy, yep. Energy's like that, right? It's not because you need you the the capital investments are so high uh, uh, to to let's say expand a uh, fracking site or a or a sagd bitumen operation like a steam assisted uh, uh, drilling operation. Uh, because of that, it's basically like it's like you. So, for instance, I the other week I I tried I I spent like a whole day looking for solid information on like how much does uh, Western Canada select, which is the amount, which is the um, which is like the uh, price level at which oil sands uh, uh shit is sold for. Um, how low does that price have to get? Which, as I said, now is a it's it's now a pint of beer. It's five dollars. How low does it have How low does it have to get before um? These companies, before it, uh, it, it, you lose money on every barrel that you sell. And what I found was that there was no single number, right? There was there was a number you could estimate for um, producing a new operation or expanding production, but because all of these different uh, players, all these different plays. Or there's one. Listen, there's the oil sands as one play, and then all of these different op, uh, operators. They had different capital costs at different times to establish different types of organizations and, and get different particular, um, uh, uh, different very very particular uh, get oil in very particular locations. It's really not clear. Um, and but but what it means is that they've all got like. Five ten, fifteen years of costs that they have to work off before they can like make a profit um and yeah their trans their transport like how much it, a, a pipeline company is gonna gonna charge you to ship it that's set that's set down, so they can't just uh they can't just fucking retool their operation and decide, you know, like th- th- some of their costs are really fixed. So it's, 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 it's kind of like it's, a, it's, it's actually Armageddon right now um, for the oil that, industry. That really does seem like collapse, right? Exactly. It, people think it might actually collapse. But if someone turns the tap back on, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of cheap oil on the market, not just from Canada, but from OPEC, from uh, the United States shale plays, right? Like, and that will be a massive source of of cheap energy. I think that's like Kyle's absolutely right. You know, right? So
2: I I think there, you know, it's kind of uh, I I think that there is a um, as you were saying, Bob. There's a there's a period in which this could become a cheap, but there after a certain point in time you're going to have plants closing, you're going to have uh, like lack of storage facilities, you're going to have stored product degrading. Um, All these kinds of infrastructural problems start to happen as the system starts to become sort of like sclerotic. Um, And after that point the oil isn't cheap anymore because the startup cost of getting things moving again is so high um so it's it like we're kind of in a window where it, it would be cheap if you start again but like that's not necessarily gonna last um going forward uh so that's I mean that's oil, but you know there's other cheaps we could look at too right like um cheap labor is the like oh boy oh boy what, what, what <laughs> yeah. do you, how do
1: you folk how do you folks see this playing out I'm very curious like I, what do, what's your take on this I think um like I think a lot of labor is being
0: cheapened extremely much right now like I mean uh, on on the one hand like the you're even seeing the FT like kind of putting out shit that's like hey look it's about time that we value the kind of like Baseline of proletarian labor correctly, like you know the um, you know shipping and handling and all the kind of the and even just basic production stuff. Because hey, it kind of does turn out that they make the economy run. So I think there'll be there'll be some kind of effort and like say nurses, whatever. There'll be some kind of a I don't know something will happen there to kind of make that stuff a bit shored up or whatever. Even if it's just a kind of buy off to to keep them happy, or whatever, while they're under a kind of weird MMT command economy. Um, but I think a lot of um I think what I'm seeing is a lot of the kind of middle-tier, um, quasi-middle-class sort of petty bourgeois stuff is just going to be fucking annihilated. Like, all the marketeers, guys, all the fucking graphic designers, a um, lot, of, lot of coding shit is just shutting down. Like, the Silicon Valley will go bust, all this kind of stuff. Um, and all of that shit will just be kind of cheapened out. Or I, I think... It's either, it's either going to be that, like, you know, sort of, like, the coders or whatever will just be fully, basically fully pro- proletarianized after this, like, um, or because there'll be so many just out of, completely out of work. Or people will find that their, their whatever fucking ad copy job or whatever just never reappears because there's no ads anymore. Or, uh, you know, somebody whose big, big, big thing was, like... Um, Oh fucking doing doing ad copy for airlines or whatever is just never going to see that job come back because hey there's no airlines anymore you know you re- remember when commercial air traffic was a thing um, so I could see uh, as you know as 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 far as stuff has been pushed in terms of like you know uh, you know that that discourse around the hollowing out of the middle or whatever like that's already been pushed pretty far but it's it's going to get even fucking worse and um and it's 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 still kind of unclear as to what will happen to like the mass of like already precarious proletarian kind of labor because like that shit was already fucking like appalling but then we're getting like uh you know the state is basically just paying every, like uh drag and dropping a grand a month into everyone's paypal account now or something like weird shit's going on there like who would have ever thought that the state would just literally pay the fucking payroll of private companies directly like not it did who thought that would ever happen right like it's just um the lengths to which they're going to shore the thing up and to ensure that it keeps on going are kind of immense. But then they're also kind of fucking up in, in other ways of, like, um, all, the, all the Deliveroo the folks are just completely fucked, you know? And uh, we're not seeing much in the way of, like, keeping keeping those afloat. Or may, maybe they'll do MMT fucking UBI helicopter money shit, like, properly. Um, cause I, don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well we'll finally see who wins in the fight between, like, Stephanie Kelton and, like, Doug Henwood or whoever's, whoever's fight, been fighting, you know, the people who've been fighting over m- MMT yes, MMT no, right? I don't know if you're even following that shit. Uh, you know, I follow it. I, I you know, I followed a little bit, like, I followed the, these debates because it is, it's very popcorn-y. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's like there's interesting ideas at play, but there's also just people uh, drunk uh, in front of the mirror at 3 a.m., right? And so we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna see, yeah, we're gonna see MMT really tested or we're going to see something like a UBI really tested. I think in terms of in terms of um, like wh- wh- I think it is terrifying in the states that they kind of. I'm not saying that this is the only thing that happened because there were real problems in the campaign in, in general is also the whole problem about trying to you know take over the Democratic uh, Party. But it's like you know it's 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 pretty wild to watch them have like succeeded at fucking assassinating Sanders' campaign, and then two or three weeks later uh, we'll get yeah. Well now now like you've got like. Medicare support for universal health care now is it just jumped 11 percent. No shit uh, of all voters, 55 percent. Um, and th- there's a real possibility of the Trump Republicans inserting, you know, Trump really going full il duce Right. And um, saying, yeah, I'm going to, like, make sure you get your UBI. I'm going to I'm going to save the petty bourgeois restaurant owners. Right. Like, um, and you, I'm getting some real kind of um, I don't know if you know this painting and and, and you know I, I he gendered it not me but you know um, uh, man at the crossroads of the universe you know mm-hmm. that 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 one you know that classic uh, uh, let me look it up what's his name. Um, a fucking Frida Kahlo's lover, you know the great muralist, Diego Rivera. Yeah, okay. where where you've got this like, uh, you know, as I said, it's very gendered. You got the guy at the at the center, um, and he's and he's and he's messing with the machinery, and then you've got like the left, the fascists and the communists on either side, marching in the army. And I'm feeling like when I think about cheapening both the working poor, labor of the working poor, but also annihilating um, the fixed capital of the petit bourgeois, which is like all, which is, which is always the, well, which is usually the, the class associated with the, with res- fascism and its resurgence. And certainly the basis of Trump's support and the basis, I think of um, a lot of the right populace in Europe support. I don't know if that's, te- that's true, but certainly in the States it is. Uh, man, like, I think you're going to see like, this is I, shit might go really boom, boomastic, yeah.
0: right? Because I mean, I think we're definitely going to see. Um, I mean, it's already fucking happened. Like all, all the restaurants are gone. You know what I mean? Like all the all the fucking cafes and a lot of the small vendors and stuff are just gone, and they're never coming back, right? So you're going to get this like fucking Blade Runner world where it's literally just Amazon and like you know Google runs the
2: entirety of the internet. You know that kind of shit. Um, that's that's what I was going to say about that. Yeah, is is that like this is going to you know in the way that crises tend to do it's going to um aggravate all of the tendencies that we saw under uh, of platform capitalism to the next level cuz like cuz yeah capitalism is, in general has been seizing up but damn those firms are making a killing you know uh-huh yeah so, mega-centralization, right? Yeah.
0: Um, so, I think that's... Yeah, and, like, what... Yeah, like, will the, the fucking Petty Bouge just sit there? Well, unlikely, you know? Um, or will they be bought off in some kind of way? I don't know. Um, I, one, one of the four more distressing kind of thoughts, I think, is that, like... Um, like the global south and like africa and all these kind of places will be completely fucking cleared out and you could even see a kind of neo-colonial sort of shit there where like just moving in and taking stuff well
2: that's what i was going to say is that's what i was going to say is is okay what does a world uh uh, an mmt world look like well that's what it looks like right because mmt is a thing you could do because your state is powerful yeah, right. if
1: you got guns, you can do MS. You need you you need you need privileges uh, to to be printing the world reserve currency and to have some kind of international security apparatus uh, that can uh, enforce that globally, and that's what the United States. That's that's why the United States can keep fucking going into debt, uh, and uh, you know the music never stops for them, right?
0: Um, another sort of. Um Another kind of wild out there sort of left field thing is like, it's probably the end of the European Union as well. Right. Um, So what uh, I I don't don't even know what Europe fucking looks like when it devolves into a patchwork of fucking city states or whatever. Um, Oh, what was What was that book? Um, I think Kyle and I read it in parallel accidentally is like Europe in autumn or something. Oh, yeah.
1: That sounds yeah. like, that sounds like a, a really charming um, musical romantic comedy. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it sounds like that, but it's actually a dystopian right. nightmare. Um, it's like a kind <laughs> of... A, it's a near-future thing where um, Europe, or maybe most of the world, has kind of broken down into this weird like patchwork city-state sort of thing. And uh, it's very kind of like... Ultra, Especially Europe, though. Yeah, ultra-fragmented, like micropolitics and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of like spy fiction set in that world. It's, it's kind of fun. Um, it's reminiscent of like the, the Deus Ex sequels the the shitty one um, yeah War, yeah yeah where it's like it's that kind of cyberpunk yeah right. wait uh, as
1: in as in yeah. as in like the most recent sequels or no 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 uh, the the, uh,
0: the 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 like uh, the one Invisible War where it's like in it's equal in the title. oh
1: Deus Ex like, 2. yeah oh, okay I, I felt because I because I because I have to admit I kind of like the reboots so <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. oh the reboots are fun um, Invisible War sucked as a game but like the setting was cool it's like I, it, that's kind of what I, I keep I keep I keep um, there's an interesting detail that like after after the collapse and the like um, resurgence, the kind of like patching back together of society, um, there just isn't any commercial air travel. Like it's just kind of woven into the fabric of the of the world because like how do you restart an industry like that after a full on collapse? You kind of don't. Like the only air travel is, in that world. I think is uh, like either military or freight. And like you have to have private contractors take you around and this kind of shit. So there's just fun little details in that that I I find are kind of disconcertingly close to becoming real. You know, <laughs>
1: yeah. someone, someone get someone get Elon Musk on the f- uh, phone. We're going to build a hyperloop that spans the mm-hmm. world. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they got one of those in
0: one of those games too. It's kind of nuts. But so I think you're right. major fucking unstable weird times coming. And I think I think a lot of this, like especially stuff like the, the potential breakdown of the EU, is just like stuff that's like so far away from the possible imaginary that it's it's going to be fucking bizarre to live through us. like because i mean if, if you thought that like people reacted very slowly or even states reacted very slowly to this crisis because they on some level couldn't process what was going on or couldn't couldn't like entertain the possibility of things being different i, I feel like that's only going to get worse you know it's like all these you know i mean fuck it maybe the united states will fragment that's a very real possibility because like the 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 federal government has been basically missing in action for a lot of this and like it's the states themselves that are kind of doing their own provisioning for uh for ventilators and stuff and like at what point do you just go like the fuck this i mean i would be i would not be surprised if scotland just split off at some point purely because of um you know like the directives coming from whitehall are so incoherent and weird that they just decide fuck it we're going to do our own thing and like it would be it would be like, a, you know, we, we can do the bookkeeping later, but like we we are going to do this policy instead of what Whitehall says right now because it will save lives or something. And that will just be de facto a fucking unilateral declaration of independence. Right. Like that. I feel like that kind of stuff is on the cards in a weird way. Um,
1: it's like Scotland needs to vaccinate themselves uh, f- uh, to, to create their own herd immunity. Right. Right. And this in this in this case the pathogen is like Boris Johnson and like and like uh, the the English uh, <laughs> English capitalism, we can, right? just, we can just get rid of them. It's it's like it's we just need to, to uh, yeah we just need to shut all that shit down and uh, you know maybe we'll just uh, we'll sort of social distance ourselves from uh, the entire uh, southern UK uh, and then we'll develop a herd immunity so that like jackasses from Eton can never again uh, you know uh, make us so sick.
0: Get get Hadrian's Wall back in action, yeah, that's
1: some good stuff. You know?
0: <laughs> I kind of I love this. Um, there's a, there's a line from I, I think Frankie Boyle or someone, but like the the upside of um, climate change for the Scots is that we get to watch the English drown.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> 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 oh, it's cruel, but it's crazy. quite quite cruel, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it it indexes something in in a, in a kind of uh, cultural resentment kind of way. Oh fuck, I don't know. Like any wrap up thoughts on all the, on those kind of speculations? I don't know. There's, there's such weird shit going. On here, but I feel like Moore's thing about like highlighting the relation between capital and nature, and specifically cheap nature, is going to be very important here. Like, we might see a bonfire of value that just like re-cheapens a lot of stuff.
2: Um Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's really just a question of like, can you get labor to work? You know, like. Because if the answer is yes, then I think so, right? Then, yeah, this all this shit's going to get real cheap. You can get a co- accumulation going again, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, like, you have to be able to assemble laborers in order to do that. Um, and so that's sort of the big block. Uh, and if, if it goes on too long, then, yeah, things are going to be cheap, but everything's going to be so fucked up. The, the, the startup costs are going to be astronomical as well. So, yeah. So, I kind of wonder if, like, that's kind of why, you know,
0: reading the FT, right, they're, they're kind of angling both for, like, uh, you know, quadrupling the salaries of um, fucking Amazon delivery drivers, whatever, and nurses, and also, like, MMT, command economy weirdness. That, that, that Those are kind of two prongs of a strategy, Um
2: Yeah, it's a kind of maintenance mode for society, like try to prevent revolution in any way possible. And uh, also, like, just keep money flowing, right? Just somehow keep the circuits moving.
0: Keep it keep it flowing, even if it's just weird kind of wizard fucking accounting tricks and not actually value. You know, I just I wonder how schizoid and weird this thing could get. Yeah, right? I mean, even if
2: it even if it's just like literally like title to goods that you're basically stealing from other countries because you've got a stronger military,
1: right? Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's the strategy with masks and ventilators already, right? Mm-hmm. So why not? Why
2: not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Definitely.
1: Why not push the logic? all the way you know
0: and also like i mean it bears repeating that the the crisis itself is a definitely a result of the the push to cheapen nature right like um it's i mean the, the real gets its revenge eventually right um that's that's another aspect of this that i think i've observed people having a real hard time with is like grasping that there is a kind of um i guess a sort of noumenal force out there that is doing its own thing regardless of what we what we care about and um really really trying to trying to like get people to realize that like yeah, I, I believe you when you say that you think you will be okay, but I don't believe that that corresponds to any kind of truth, you know, that the, the virus will come and fuck you regardless, you know, like it, it uh, the, it, I think we're, we're very accustomed to living in this mode of, um, you know, some sort of affective kind of, kind of thing, right? Like where, what, what, what we, what we value, you know, in even in these, in the, or what capital values in these value terms is the thing that moves, uh, move stuff around. But, um, to then be confronted by this endogenous force like it, it came from within the world and from within the dynamics of capitalist development but something that kind of manifests as something that feels extremely external and alien and it, it just it just it just moves around as an agent of its own accord and uh, there's very little it's like the terminator you, ca- you just can't reason with this. there's little there's little you can do to convince it of your values um or your valuations even um yeah,
1: uh, yeah, shit. yeah. It's it's the revenge of the penguin.
0: Yeah, they had an unfair advantage in being armored in the first place. I feel like they've already <laughs> yes, got their, right. their evolutionary advantage. They don't need to do that kind of shit. Um, yeah, I'd go so far to say that they've been che- they're cheating. Yeah, yeah, they're they're min maxing. You know, just like absolutely maximum defense.
1: Yeah, in,
2: they should uh, be you know, whatever. Th-
1: it should, it should be mono-a-pangolin. Uh, mono, uh, uh, <laughs> Jesus.
2: The pangolins are not committing suicide in mass, but this is what they have This done. is pangolins' revenge, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. that's right. They're going to they're gonna inherit the fucking earth. It'll be,
0: yeah, I don't know. What will be left? Just the pangolins and the fucking armored cockroaches or whatever. And the, the virus will still be around somehow. It'll just be fucking hovering in the air.
1: That's a hell of a, a, a China Mewville uh, mm-hmm. novel. That would be, that would be fucking dope. I'd read that shit out of that. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I don't know. Um, Anything else?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I think we could get into that whole metonymy thing with work, but I think it's, I think it's, it's, I think we've, 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 we've discussed the subject um, and uh, I'm sure we'll come back to it in the future. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I
0: think we're going to have to right, as, as, this, as this stuff keeps developing, right? Um, and I kind of do, like, I, I think ultimately I am quite fond of a lot of Moore's work there. I do also, I found myself just nodding along with Works' uh, review and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, all, all fair points. Um, she made a really good job of those critiques and also the fact that they're kind of like, she's not just outright rejecting the premises. It's just like, hey, look, I mean, this is maybe insufficient. Maybe this is other way of developing these things that's all great and I kind of do hope that like we kind of take this stuff as a, as a starting point like I think I think Moore I hope that uh, the good parts of Moore's work form a new plateau on which to um, on which to kind of spring forward uh, and not just regress to like defending the fucking church of um, of uh, you know 19th century uh, German philosophy
2: yeah and well and I think that that's a positive thing of what Moore's doing too is like you know she has this critique of dialectics in the piece uh But she doesn't sort of dismiss it outright. She's like, well, look, this has yielded interesting insights. And um, despite it having this problem of dealing with the non-human and of sort of like creating uh, necessary opposites, uh, in that, that metaphoric way, uh, it still has its uses. Um, I think that that kind of, like, approach is probably a lot more productive. Um, like, that, that's, that tends to be the way that, like, you know, I think we should go in terms of academic uh, approaches or, or research projects is to do that sort of, like, unity of science thing that Neurath and company were trying to do, where it's like, yeah, there is no, like, hierarchical totalizing unity that uh, is going to be functional for our investigations, uh, but we can correspond different approaches to each other and sort of create a unity out of that multiverse. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah a pluralistic sort of approach to this stuff right like um you you don't need your
0: your team to win <laughs> yeah totally um good stuff um yeah i guess uh, that's probably it for this episode it's a bit of a long one but uh thanks listeners uh, for coming along with us thanks bob for coming along with us it's been a pleasure as always anything you'd like to
1: close with bob No, I mean, uh, just say that thanks so much for uh, having me back on. This was a total blast. I really enjoyed uh, talking this through with you guys and thinking through this stuff. And uh, also just to have a little bit of uh, some light um, uh, enjoyment during the end end times, you know. I think that's kind of a a good, good feeling. Yeah. Also, because because I, uh, it, 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 if someone is listening to this right after uh, uh, listening to the previous episode, quite obviously the conference I mentioned uh, two months ago, but maybe from your perspective, listener, uh, 45 uh, minutes ago uh, is obviously not happening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure. Oh,
0: no. Yeah. Time. Time moves in weird fucking ways these days. Um yeah cool um, so uh, ah, I forgot what the fucking readout is um, something about Twitter uh, GI Unit Pod Facebook all the usual shit um, throw uh, go to patreon.com slash general intellect unit give us a bit of money you can get into our community stuff um, I need to write this fucking thing down because I can never remember it um, and also the Emancipation Network our, our sister shows on there um, are really good go to emancipation.network on the web Um We've got a lot of shows now. Uh, We've got a new one. Uh, Mortal Science is on there. It's really fucking good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Esri and uh, Varn's thing, right? Uh-huh.
0: So that's, uh, that's that's very interesting stuff that's coming out there. And uh, Jumpsuit Utopia yeah. is, is running strong. Um, it's all really good stuff, you know? And uh, the old classics uh, from Alpha to Omega and Swampside Chats. They are uh, truly wonderful. Um, so there's a massive archive of stuff that you can uh, you can look at. Um, it's all in this kind of orbit. Um yeah, I guess that's it for this episode. So um thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in
1: a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.